Hello, everybody. My guest today is world leader in business education for fitness professionals. He is the founder of the Personal Trainer Development Center and author of multiple best-selling books for personal trainers. In addition, John founded the first ever certification <clears throat> for online fitness trainers, the Online Trainer Academy. Please welcome to the show, Jonathan Goodman. What's up? Hey, everybody. Happy to be here. Hey, John. Great to have you on the show, mate. What's the weather like in Canada just now? Oh, man. The weather has been beautiful the last, uh, last little while. I mean, we've got our seasons opposite from you over, over on the other side of the world. But uh, for anybody listening to this podcast, I, I sincerely apologize. It's the end of the day for me on Friday and 6 a.m. for VIT on Saturday. So you will get, I think, both of us at our absolute worst. I, I really hope that that's not the case, but I've, I, I don't have high hopes for this. <laughs> <laughs> See how we go. I've I like made, to set expectations low. <laughs> I've made my tea. There you go. I got my black tea. It's a long brew, so that'll, that'll cut, carry me through this, I reckon. Now, uh, John, you've been in the industry for a while. Tell me this one thing, which I'm really interested in. Um, as a fit pro yourself, what inspired you to become a fit pro, you know, coach for other fit pros? Because <laughs> that's not something that you commonly see. It's not. I actually think that there is a lot of potential in the fitness industry that unfortunately a lot of people who work in it never find because it's not commonly promoted just how much opportunity there is in the fitness industry outside of being personal trainers. A lot of people start as personal trainers. Very few people are actually suited to be a personal trainer. If you think about the rare combination of really like looks, charisma, fitness, entrepreneurship, sales, and marketing, and, and extroversion that it takes to be a successful personal trainer, like that is not a combination of learned and natural, and natural attributes and skills that is really easy to find. And so a lot of trainers maybe aren't successful as trainers as much as they'd like to be and leave the industry, but really, maybe you should have been like a project manager for a fitness company. You know, maybe you should have been an educator or whatever it is. I am reasonably introverted and I did okay on the floor, but I'm pretty introverted, you know, and, and there's this misconception about introversion where they can't talk to people. That's not true. I can walk on a stage in front of 500 people and give a talk but then I need to go into a hotel room for 30 minutes and be by myself. Mm. And people who are introverted, the best way that I can explain it is that people who are introverted uh, start the day with five coins and every interaction they have, they give a coin to somebody else. And when they're out of coins, they need to recover. Extroverted people start the day with zero coins and every interaction they have, they gain a coin. And so how did I know that I was going to be in this world? I never did. I had applications out to do a master's and PhD in advanced muscle physiology at school three years into my personal training career because I didn't think there was any way I was going to be a personal trainer for the rest of my life. I was liking it. I was doing well. But really, I mean, I hit the point at 23 years old where I was making as much as you could make as a personal trainer. I was in an affluent area of Toronto charging you know, $97 an hour as much as you could charge in Toronto at the time. Mm -hmm. Full book of clients earning in a commission from referring my overload of clients to other trainers. And at that point, I was also heading up a team of 10 trainers, a senior trainer, getting a salary for hiring and training new trainers. 
of which I was five years their junior, the youngest one. And there was, there was 10 of us. And so I basically hit this point where I said, you know, things are, things are pretty good. I'm doing well with this, but like, is this what my life is going to be like? I, I don't, I know that I'm going to want to take time off. I know that I'm going to want to travel. I know that I'm going to want to work a job where I don't have to be on my feet all day, every day, basically, you know, uh, biting off, you know, what you can chew. Uh, and so uh, really it was, it was a search if I'm honest that, and I didn't know where it would take me, but I started reading everything I could find about things like multiple streams of income, passive income. I never wanted to leave training, but I knew I needed something else. And keep in mind, this is like 2008, 2009. So not to say the internet didn't exist. Of course it did, but there wasn't the influx of information in your face about entrepreneur, like entrepreneurship wasn't cool yet. And, and actually, I don't think entrepreneurship is cool, is not cool once again. Like after COVID hit, like I think people have realized that entrepreneurship isn't actually cool. Like owning a business kind of sucks. Uh, unless you're somebody like me where you literally can't do anything else and are gloriously unemployable. Um, owning a business is really hard. And, and for, for a lot of people, it's actually better to be an entrepreneur inside somebody else's organization, which we can definitely talk about if you want to. And so... Long story short, I, I'd go to the bookstore. I'd look for whatever best-selling books I could find on marketing on multiple streams of income. Then I'd, I'd write them down on a piece of paper and I'd walk across the street to the library and I'd check out those books or I'd check out you know, different books by the same author if they didn't have them. Yep. And I just read and read and read and read, man. And you know, I, I studied whatever I could find in terms of solutions. I studied residential real estate investing for six years or for six months. I, I built two business plans for smoothie operations. And eventually I came across this book called by Robert G. Allen called Multiple Streams of Income. And in that book, one of the chapters was on a subject called info, called, uh, 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 I think it was called infopreneurship. Basically become an information entrepreneur. And I never like, keep in mind, like now you're like, yeah, of course you could sell information. 2009, this was an underground movement. I mean, you wouldn't find this unless you were really searching for it. And so I came across this thing and um, basically the advice was write a book and that will launch a whole bunch of business streams for you around information, but it all starts with a book. And what do you write a book about? We'll write a book about what you know, other people want to know that. And I'm like, I know personal training. And I was so, at this point, I was like 24 years old. And I, I, you know, I was so ignorant around all of the reasons why it was ridiculous for a 24-year-old to write a book to educate an industry that I wrote a book. And, and I think that's a pretty important lesson. You know, perhaps, we, perhaps in this day and age, we often know too much about a thing and it stops us from actually doing the thing. I knew so little about the thing that I didn't know all the reasons why I shouldn't do it and I did it. And now... And now that book is one of the best-selling books for personal trainers of all time. It's the highest and most reviewed book on Amazon for trainers. It's been translated into multiple languages. It's used in certifications and mentorships in Norway and India. It's used in colleges across North America. Like it's, you know, that's why you do stuff. <laughs> it's because yeah. you never know where it's going to take you. I mean, that's a very ballsy approach at 24 years old, not knowing much about writing I, food. I never <laughs> had I, the, the ballsy approach was, you know, what's funny though. I, you know, I have so many friends, like, like I can just, the first talk I ever gave was to a talk of 500 people. 
at like, I was like 25, 26. Like sh- straight up. Like Nothing straight in between. up. <laughs> like I'd, I'd done, I'd done, you know, like, like in service stuff to our trainers, to our staff, but I never, and, and I've never, I've never had any qualms of speaking on stage. And I realize now that that's kind of weird. It, it doesn't even, it's not even that it's ballsy. I'm just like, I'm just talking like, like I'm not going to talk about anything. I don't know. I'm just like having a conversation. It just, it's, I don't know whether it's ballsy. I don't know whether it's just, I'm so good at compartmentalizing stuff and just being blissfully ignorant. Like my wife will be the first to tell you, I mean, I'm either there or I'm not there. Mm -hmm. And, and that's for household stuff too. I mean, she handles the finances. Like, I don't know, like a letter comes about insurance or, you know, property taxes or whatever it is. I just give it to her. Like, I just, I, I have no, I have zero clue even what you need to do to manage the finances of a house, for example. That's just one example, but... Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and whether that's something that she does because you maybe you're not good at it or you don't want to, uh, but in either case, this is a good analogy to, like a good segue to in business as well, right? Like we need to sure. delegate things. We, we can't be good at all, all, all things, right? What are some well, things you that you see... you have to be uh, super protective about your mental energy too. If you're going to think about it, think about it. Mm. Or figure out a way that you don't have to think about it. You don't, don't just dip your toe in because the amount of little micro tasks, decisions that you do in a day, the amount of energy that takes from you, you know, what's crazy. I, I hired, I had a, I had a, a virtual assistant for five years who lived in, in, she lived in the United States. I'm in Canada. So yeah. we actually met for the first time ever four and a half years into our relationship. She worked me, you know, for five years. And, um, and we parted ways just because I knew that I wanted somebody in person, but my, my family and I set out on like an eight month, basically jaunt around the world uh, last year. And so I wasn't going to hire somebody before then. So I hired a new personal assistant a month ago. You want to know the craziest thing? Mm. I think I need to hire a second one. Right. Isn't that nuts? Well, your business is growing, right? So... There's more to do. It's just all of the shit that I did by myself that I didn't even know about. I wasn't even, because I was just so used to doing it that I didn't even think about it anymore. And now I have time to talk to you. Now I have time to record our own podcast, the online trainer show. Now I have blocks in my schedule to read and study and get better. Um, that's how much little stuff, no matter what stage you are in business. Mm. I mean, I have a general manager and a financial and a legal team running our business. Like, like I don't actually do most of the running of it. I've got a director of marketing that runs our marketing. Like, I'm not actually that involved in the day-to-day. And so everybody's got kind of got so many little things they do that when they actually take stock of it, they're like, holy crap, this has taken a lot out of me. And stunting my growth. I think in, in business, you need to be, if, you, if, you, if you're really good at something, um, you need to create that team around you, right, that supports you. In your case, you're already at a stage where you, you can afford it, have that team behind you. And now you're really just doing things that influence the marketplace. So you're, at, I mean, you're the face of what you do, right? Sure. And sure. so um, just recently, I came across a really good concept that says, you know, you can either be the operator in your business. You can do the the operational tasks, um, you know, the day to day things, uh, which you know, need to be done. Um, 
but don't really result in, in significant impact. Or you can dedicate your time just building assets, things like, you know, like you said, information, you know, whether it's blog or, or write an article or so, recording a podcast, because that stuff lasts. Yeah, you invest your time in it, but it lasts. It's there forever and it works for you. But what about building product? Who's building product at that point? Yeah, well, well, both, right? You, you, build, you build the products, but in terms of the operational, the back-end stuff, you know what I mean? Mm. Like focusing more on building assets rather than right. working on the actual you know, nitty-gritty. I mean, I would, I would, I love that. I would even take that a step further because I, I feel like there's actually a separate, there's, there's another part of that. Hundred percent, you're either working in your business, or, or you're, you're, you're working for it, for sure. Um, that's not just one of those pithy, like motivational, like business phrases. Like that's true. Doesn't mean that you won't have to do things in the business. For example, like there are certain things that I. I won't acquiesce control over. And, and one of them is, is just the finances of it. You know, if somebody's touching the bank accounts, it's me. Nobody else has access over that. But most everything else, I, I have other people leading the church. We basically have an owner of each department. Because, um, you know, everybody kind of works on everything a lot of the time. Not everybody, but um, we have an owner of each department. But, but then you, you have to have new product innovation right? Or if you have one main product or service, you, you still have to have somebody who is on product uh, uh, iteration, who is on research and development improvement, because you've got to keep improving your existing product line. And so you need to have somebody on that, but then you need to have somebody who really is, call it the face, I don't know what you'd call it, but somebody who's out there building connections, somebody who's out there building partnerships. So like we've got a manager of partnerships, Josh is our manager of partnerships, but I'm almost always the one who makes the first connection. I'm almost always the one who shakes the hands, who meets the person, who gets the introduction, who's on the first call. And then he's the one who basically processes that relationship afterwards. If, it, if, if there seems like there could be like a, a win-win yeah. with it, but you need somebody who's out there first. You need somebody who's not just creating assets in terms of content, but somebody who's, out there meeting people out there. And that person should be, should be somebody who has energy for that type of thing. And at this point in my business, that's my role. Um, You're enjoy I, it. I know people whose entire businesses are flying around the world, having dinners with people. Yeah. Now running your business over those years, like fast forward now, 2020, your first book was published. What is it? 2013. The, the ignite the fire. Was it 2011? 20, there we go. Um, which hurdles over that course of the time you personally face? It was like some of those toughest moments that you had to get through. Oh man. Since 2011. Mm. I mean, the business didn't really get serious as a business up until a few years ago. For the first couple of years, it was, it was basically a little hobby that I did at night after training clients. And it was building in 2012, I think is when I started, you know, 2011, I, I, I sold the, book and stuff like that. 2011 is when I started first making like call it internet sales. Like we started with affiliate promotions basically before we, we built our own product, we promoted other people's products and stuff like that and sold theirs and, and took a commission. But I didn't really get serious until like 2015, 2016. Um, I, I, you know, with me, it's just always a matter of I'm really, really good at building stuff. 
I'm not as good at running things on an ongoing basis. And so one of the biggest hurdles is one of the biggest problems, pitfalls, reasons why my company perhaps isn't bigger than it is right now, because we had a massive head start in a lot of the things out there. And we, we lost our first mover advantage on a couple of things. Um, there were some missteps along the ways. And, and it's because I always wanted to do more. I always wanted to do different versus putting more into what we had, making it even greater, building cohesive business units that actually supported each other versus trying to, trying to uh, I guess, do everything for our market. You know, if our market is personal trainers and we're educating personal trainers and we've got the best course in education and curriculum in the world for people who want to become an online trainer, why am I creating something on fat loss? Mm. Why am I writing books about how to start your career? When trainers starting their career probably shouldn't be online trainers. Now, that's not quite true. I mean, starting your career is perhaps cohesive as like a lead generator because if you can help somebody start their career off right a year or two from there when they're ready for online training, you know, they, they might be in your pipeline. They might have already benefited from learning from me. But it's like, it's like a stretch, right? <laughs> You know, um, so the misstep is not realizing that personality quirk of mine. Basically, the reason why I was able to be successful early on is because of this personality trait. It's because I'm so good at just thinking of an idea, putting everything into it, blasting it off, leaving it, and then thinking of a good idea, of a new idea. That's a really good personality for somebody starting a company getting it to maybe it's, it's, you know, the seven figure mark. Mm. That's a really bad personality trait for somebody who wants to grow it way beyond there. It's kind of like what got me to, what got me to point B is the exact opposite of what I need to get to point C, D, E, F and beyond. And it took me too long to realize that. And that's when I replaced myself as the core operator of the business. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in, in a way, you were still providing those solutions to the trainers, just sort of thinking more laterally as well, right? So that's, I mean, entrepreneurial mindset, right? Thinking about- okay, Yeah, but I mean, at a certain point in time, running a business is so expensive, customer acquisition is so expensive, content production is so expensive that um, producing a, a, a book, uh, producing a book already has low margins. And producing a book to a sub-niche of a niche where the only distribution channel is one that you own, really. There are some other small distribution channels, but they're pretty small. Is not going to make enough money to pay many people's salaries. What about the future? Are you looking at the future of the fitness industry and think, what is that going to look like in 10 years? So much opportunity, man. It's, 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 it's boundless opportunity. It's amazing Anybody who thinks that there's any kind of saturation in the fitness industry is absolutely crazy. Uh, the, the pockets that exist of interest communities that you can dip into as any kind of a fitness expert continue to get deeper and deeper and deeper and continue to get more and more segmented away, which means that there are so many more opportunities to win on small and medium but meaningful ways than there ever was. There are basically no gatekeepers anymore. There's basically no centralized information sources that you have to go to 
you can you can create your own success as small or as big as you want moving forward and it's so unbelievably exciting to people who even build the smallest modicum of business and marketing savvy in the fitness industry i mean we are selling the one thing that is pandemic proof recession proof that every single person wants deeply in their emotional being we're selling sex we're selling health we're selling passion we're selling energy to be with your family we're selling preventative medicine like everything like tick the list man there's there's nothing more important in the world than what we sell and even if somebody doesn't buy into the real reasons why it's important the preventative medicine which unfortunately can be a hard sell you're selling sex so mask preventative medicine as sex i don't care as long as i get people more healthy that live longer and are there for the families more if they're buying it because they want to get more sex cool like yep. that's cool with me that's a trade off i'm willing to make and so there's just there's just so much opportunity man the the you look at the revenue charts of the worldwide fitness industry year over year after over year compared to almost any other industry it leaves them in its dust and it'll continue to go up i mean we look at what's happening in in 2020 with covid just hitting shutting down a lot of gyms and trainers are saying oh my god i can't work i can't have gyms it's like well the trainers who are savvy enough to have anything to do with online their businesses are skyrocketing people people who we work with are crushing it the minute the pandemic hit the revenue started to just hockey stick growth like it's the opportunity is crazy man and it's exciting what about tech stuff what about virtual reality you know technology being more incorporated into the way the fitness could be delivered in the future oh, i thought, thought you were going to talk about sex again what about virtual reality <laughs> and sex uh, i think there's a lot of opportunity what's what's interesting is that the porn industry is always at the forefront of technological innovations a lot of people don't don't realize just how much the pornography industry i don't know why i'm dwelling on this but like <laughs> i just think from a marketing like from a marketing standpoint Yeah. from a business development standpoint they actually ushered in the era of online advertisements um and they were the leaders in virtual reality for i guess obvious reasons they they were the leaders in virtual reality development <laughs> you know so it's like like him or hate him um that's that's what's happening uh what you know what do i think about it Every time that there's a new app or technology or whatever it is there's this there are all these sensationalized articles and videos is this the end of personal trainers is this the end of the fitness industry as we know it silicon valley will not replace personal trainers let me use an analogy to to prove to you why why in the world do doormen exist in new york city You ever thought about that? Um It's a door. I mean it's a gatekeeper. It's a door. Open a door, close a door. Why do you need a doorman? That can be replaced by technology. That is replaced by technology in a lot of ways. 
yet doormen are still used abundantly, and the number of buildings that have doormen are increasing. There's a number of obvious reasons. One is security, one is accepting packages and stuff like that, you know, giving directions. But the biggest reason is a doorman greets you, a doorman knows your name, a doorman puts a smile on your face. A doorman is a it is a symbol of status that can never be replaced by Silicon Valley. So what do what, what Silicon Valley will always do is they will look at a problem. They'll, they'll recognize an opportunity basically is their money because there's just, there's just so much money in private equity and angel investing right now and so little to invest it in that there's just the quality of companies and ideas that are being invested in keep going down every single day. And if you don't, I guess, know a ton about private equity and stuff, you have to take my word for it. But not to say that there aren't good ideas and good companies out there, but there's just way too much money. Um, and way, way too many people who want to invest money and, and not enough to invest in. And that problem's only getting worse. And these companies have a responsibility to invest the money of their investors. Uh, so they have to buy companies. They literally can't not buy companies, even if they don't think that there's a good investment. And so Silicon Valley always will recognize an opportunity, see what's out there. And what they will do is they will dumb down whatever the problem is to its simplest tasks and figure out a way to automate the tasks so that they can produce the kind of scale that they need with technology in order to, often with technology, almost always with technology, in order to, um, in order to get positive returns for investors. That's pretty much what the game is. So think about personal training, think about fitness instruction. You can dumb it down into, I mean, to be honest, most programs produced by AI are better, like the programs produced by the top artificial intelligence fitness programming services are actually probably technically better programs than what the majority of personal trainers produce. That's just the reality. And it's going to get better. If you think that you're competing on your program, that was always the case, man. Go down the street, you could buy a magazine that's probably got a better program than what you're going to give climb. If you're a relatively new trainer, once you get super advanced, that's not the case. But what a trainer can do in terms of the, the fine-tuning last-minute stuff, what a trainer can do in terms of the actual coaching of a client, being there, the empathy that they serve to a client identifying when a client needs help and showing up and asking them questions and listening to them deeply, that can never be replaced. That's what you're doing. That's what you're there for. And so it's just a matter of understanding what you're competing on. And that's what technology will never replace. At the same time, there are different types of people and consumers in this world. There are consumers who are obsessed with the quantified self-movement with technology. And they were never good customers for personal training. They were always right for this. The same type of person who has a Fitbit is the same type of person who has an Apple Watch, is the same type of person who has a smart speaker in their house, is the same type of person who's going to want a, a quote-unquote smart trainer. They were never going to thrive with a personal trainer. They're motivated I mean, by this, numbers. They're motivated by numbers. They like the idea of technology. They like being at the forefront. They like being early adopters of new tech. They like talking about... These are the type of people who 
like talking about how they discovered this underground indie band. And the minute that the indie band goes mainstream, they say that they're not good anymore. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's just, there's just, there's just people like that. And that's totally cool. Um, uh, and so not necessarily the same group of people that might be two different types of people. But my point is if a lot of people group people into demographics and that's actually a really, it, it's a really superficial, really flawed way of understanding people and understanding psychology. There's psychographics, but I would go even deeper and say, people are solving problems. What's the problem that they're solving? Because when you really drill down into the problem that people are solving and why they buy solutions, what you will find is that people in vastly different demographics, I'm talking about like 30, 40 year age gaps, men, women, black, white, everything, different parts of the world. Well, actually you will be able to sort them into pockets based off of the, the problem that they have in their own head and the trigger to solving that problem and what's pulling them towards taking action and pushing them away from taking action. And, uh, and if, you can, if you can break that down, you will realize that some people are really, really right for personal training and some people were never right. So that's a long way of saying there will be more and more tech, especially with with COVID scaring everybody out of gyms, the online fitness industry is about to get a, has already gone, but is going to get an even bigger, massive influx of money. There is already a huge convergence of, of companies, um, amounts of money that you or I can't even imagine yeah. are coming into the industry and are buying up and combining companies to try to create monopolies in the fitness <laughs> industry. And they're all trying to eliminate humans. When that happens, there's more opportunity for humans. The one thing I think it will happen also is with the online training is being done in, in, in personal houses, they're going to lack that aspect of social interaction, getting to see the other participants, right? So one thing that I can think of that will happen also is the power of the virtual reality. You know, like you already already have abilities with, you know, the headsets where you can do do a workout um, yourself, but now you're you're paddling uh, on a rower, you got, you know, your concept to rower at home, but you're not at home on concept to rower. Now you're paddling through on a river. Now, if you bring right. that, you know, social interaction to it as well, like a, like an online game, now you'd be able to see the other participants with you. Yeah. Maybe. I think that's already, that's already out there, but I, I also it's like. It's already out there, but adoption, I mean, human adoption is so slow. Like that's, that's going to be decades yeah. before that's adopted. Wide scale enough to make any kind of a difference. If, if, if that's what people really need and want, um, it's just wide scale human adoption is just slow. It's just, that's just how it is. You need so many things happening in, in tandem. Um, for something that isn't in retrospect as obvious of a need and improvement, like, like the mobile, like the phone to the mobile phone to the iPhone was obvious, was un like was the fastest adoption of, of a product, you know? And in retrospect, it was like a really obvious, massive improvement. What you're talking about is not, it doesn't solve a big enough problem that it's going to be like a wide scale overnight adoption. Um, that I, it will happen. There will be virtual reality personal trainers in the not so distant future, but it's going to be like this underground kind of weird thing for a long time. 
And I still don't think it's going to replace humans long enough that like gray haired guys like you and me don't need to worry about it. Yeah. yeah. Well, what I meant by it is it's, I didn't mean like on the mass scale, what I meant by it is it's another solution to a problem, right? Um, another example could be, you know, if you have a guy who's a plateauing on, you know, pull-ups, for example, the technology could then maybe help with that. For example, you got a headset on and now you're not only in pull-ups, you're actually experiencing um, uh, an, an action movie. You know, you're hanging off the helicopter and you got to right. pull yourself up to the helicopter, you know, like because it, it will stimulate your senses in the virtual environment. Who knows? It might give you that one extra, you know, bit of strength that you it would might. normally, you know, you wouldn't find. I'll be honest with you, man. That would stress <laughs> me out to no end. I would not like that. I just feel like I feel like I take the headset off and my blood pressure would just be like pumping through my head, like this vein in my head would just be coming out. Uh, I mean, I can see how it would work, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it wouldn't cool. be for everybody. Yeah, I'd try it. Uh, it'd be it'd be super cool. I just I all that I could picture is just Tom Cruise in like one of those you know, in an action movie, like pulling up on a plane or something inside of his plane. It's like, how can every single superhero, like, how, do you understand how hard that would be? Like a moving helicopter hanging from it 500 feet in the air, pulling yourself up, like basically doing a muscle up into the helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> like, like how difficult. Meanwhile, the grip is, of course, like a super fat, thick grip because it's the helicopter. Oh, yeah, that's, like, <laughs> yeah it's not thin. <laughs> Like, how, I don't know many people who could do that. <laughs> I think it was in Mission Impossible 2 when he was like climbing up that rope um, and then he fall off that and just, he started climbing again and he did it. I'm like, what? Yeah, it's like, bro, you him? would have blisters. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I, look, I'm excited to see what comes out. I, I, I really don't think that... Um, I, I really don't think that there's much, if anything, that we need to be worried about as fitness professionals on the ground floor. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the principles will stay the same. You know, the yeah. human interaction, the delivery of it, and you know, the social skills. Right? Let's talk about that. How much important are the social skills for a personal trainer, being able to communicate? They're everything. That's basically what you do as a trainer. Would you basically say... all you do as a trainer. Yeah. So, would you say, like, you know, if you... If you, if you I don't want to say an introvert, uh, but if you're too much of a shy person, let's put it that way, who's lacking those social skills, but you love the technicality of training and, and what it's doing for you and you still want to help others, right. would you recommend them to get into the industry? I would not recommend them to be a personal trainer on the floor because you're going to have a heck of a time. I would 100% recommend you get into the industry, but maybe you're somebody who writes articles, maybe you're somebody who works as an online trainer, maybe you're somebody who backs up trainers in a facility, maybe you're the centralized programmer in the facility and the trainers on the floor are delivering your programs. Maybe you work for a research company, maybe you work for a product company and you head up their, their content, their marketing. I don't know. I mean, there's lots of opportunities. If you're that technically minded, I mean, what is that? How does that skill set carry over to other stuff? It's not, if you like reading research, if you like writing programs, you're probably pretty detail-oriented. That's a, that's, a, that's a strong combination of skills that a lot of businesses would really benefit from. 
Mm. Um, a lot of people join the fitness industry because they love fitness. And what happens is that when this isn't for everybody, but oftentimes when the thing we love becomes a job, it stops becoming the thing we love because we start going through the motions day in and day out of that thing. And so a lot of trainers will kind of love training, love fitness. It becomes their career. Then they go through the motions of it. They hit a stopping point. Their fitness starts to go down. They start losing their sense of self because all of their sense of self is wrapped up in how they look and their fitness levels. And that's no longer something that they're proud of. Even if they're still in better shape than most people, they're not in good enough shape for themselves. And that becomes really, really difficult. And so maybe they end up leaving the industry or maybe they start doubting themselves or whatever it is. Uh, it, it doesn't have to, you don't have to work on the gym floor just because you love fitness. Some people stay maybe because right of the money. Maybe it isn't. I don't think a lot of personal trainers stay because of the money. <laughs> you think so? I, I think I think you know. I mean, you can not, not for me, me personally, but like yeah, from some trainers I know in Sydney, like you know, they're making a, a huge amount yeah. of money. They and for when sure. I talk to them, you know, they're like, "Oh man, it's the same thing every every day, every day." But money's good, so you know, I'm gonna hang around there. And we've got we've got a ton of people that we work with that make a lot of money. Um, that's what we do is we help trainers make a lot of money. That's literally what I do for a job, and and even then. You know, training is a, is, is a tough gig if all you're doing is training in person. There's only a few cities that you can really live in uh, where you can charge high enough and have, have enough people coming through. And, um, and money's a great motivator to a certain point, but it's not... It's not enough to keep you going and keep you doing a good job. You got to find year. that aspect that you enjoy doing as well. Yeah. 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 What about um? Well, let's talk about the online training because that's that's really your that's really you know where you focus right now, right? I mean, you start with personal mm-hmm. trainers. Now, would you say now it's more about the online trainers? What do you mean? Like the shift in the industry, or is it just an option? Know. Just an another option. option. Hmm? It's another option. It's another piece of the pie. Online training is, is for some trainers, it's not for others. I think, I think every trainer needs to have something that makes the money when they're not on the feet, some other stream of income. Maybe it's passive, maybe it's active, but I think another, every trainer needs to have some option. It doesn't have to be online training. Maybe you do real estate investing. Maybe you've got a side gig where you help out in communications for another company or you run somebody's Facebook ads or whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is, but you need to have something when you're not on your feet. It's just, it's, it's, it's an act of resiliency. You know what, if you're training people on the floor and you get hurt and you're off your feet, you don't make money. If you're training people on the floor or you own a gym and a, I don't know, a pandemic rolls through and you can't work for three months, uh, you need to be able to feed your family. And so you always needed something. Is, it, is online training the answer? For a lot of people, yes. What we've found is that it's at least the first step for a lot of people to begin to figure out what the answer is. Some people stick with it all the time. Other people use it to get the freedom that they need in their life and their business to be able to say, okay, now I can build whatever is right for me. 
right? Which may not even have anything to do with fitness. You know, some people use online training and say, you know, I actually don't like working in the gym. I actually don't even really love having the fitness industry as my primary vocation, but I'm still passionate about it. So they, they, they're working in the gym. They want to get out of there. And so they, they take online training. They take an online trainer academy certification, figure out how to do it. They get a bunch of clients that are outside of their gym. They leave their gym. They leave the industry. And they keep working with a couple clients online because it kind of keeps them into it. And that's what was always right for them. Um, you know, everybody's different. Mm, everybody's different. Th- everybody's path is different. Somebody listening right now in that state right now, looking at getting outside from the floor because that's no longer for them, but they still want to help others. Um, what is that starting point? Obviously, <laughs> the most obvious here is <laughs> it's a clue. If we're working with you guys, but um, how does that look like? How does that conversion into an online trainer look like? You you get your first five online clients. You scratch and you claw and you get your first five online clients. We have a process called the Founding Client Challenge that is really as simple as we teach you how to make a compelling offer. We teach you how to ask the right way because a lot of trainers are really bad at asking, we found. And so teach them how to ask the right way. Basically ask everybody you know if they know somebody who might be interested in in working with you remotely. Do whatever you need to do to get your first online clients. 200 bucks for 60 days. Now you have $1,000 extra. For most people, $1,000 extra in 60 days is enough for you to free up a little bit of space in your schedule. It's enough for you to relax if you're like stressed out for bills. It's enough for you to free up the littlest bit of space in your schedule that you can, you can look at your situation and assess what you need. And most often what we found is that's, that's the most impactful thing that people could do. What's my path? We're, we, it's so easy for all of us, myself included, to get stuck in this reactive state where we buy more stuff, where we're, we commit to more things. And, and, and all of a sudden, and none of them by themselves are big decisions, but you wake up one day and you're like, I'm stuck, man. How do I get out of this? I can't even think, I can't even breathe enough to get out of this. And so, so what we say is get your first five clients, you scratch and you claw, because when you get your first five clients who are paying you, you're also going to be forced to figure out how to train online, right? You can, you can read everything on the internet. You can, you can delay as much as you want by what software is best. It's like, I get news for you. It doesn't matter. They're all good enough. If you have paying clients waiting for you, you're going to make decisions fast because your client is starting on Friday and it's Tuesday. And you're going to realize after that, the decision you made is probably okay. And even if it's not, now you have context, i.e. you've already worked with somebody for a little bit of time through which to make a better decision next time. You could have never made an appropriate decision the first time. And like I said, most of all, you've got space now. You've got space to move. You've got space to breathe. And, uh, and, and what we found is that for most people, that's, what's, that's kind of what they need. And also, in other words, I mean, big takeaway from this for me is don't, don't wait for perfection. Just, just get things started. Oh, right? heck no. Heck no. We, like, 
like I've been in business for nine years. We've, we've done pretty well. And, and even then, we beta test an imperfect version of every new product offering we're doing, usually multiple times. We have uh, a level two of our certification that we're going into our third beta group. Private, much smaller cohorts than we you know, want to ultimately be taking. We actually have to work really hard to not let people know about it because we don't want demand. And, and that's how we make it better and really figure out what this thing is, right? We're coming out with a service where we're building our own online fitness coaching company, specializing in helping personal trainers on their fitness and working with them that way. And it's part education, you know, working with us, you'll figure out how to run a great online training business. In addition, you're going to get in better shape. You can learn how great programming is done. Uh, so it kind of kills two birds with one stone. We're doing a beta group. We're only taking 100 clients to start off with. And we're starting slow, right? I mean, that's how we always start. Because no matter what, A, you never know if you have anything that people care about until they pay you money for it. You can, you can research as much as possible. Yeah, I, I love it. It's a great idea. You got to ask for money. That's how you know whether you have something that people care about. And you shouldn't spend a lot of time and you definitely shouldn't spend a lot of money building something before you know if somebody will actually pay you money for it or not. So build a you know, minimal viable product, build a, build a product that's good enough and invite people in to be basically beta testers on the idea for a lesser rate. And if you have a really hard time getting beta testers for the idea, your idea might not be that good or you might need to go back and refine it. But once you get those beta testers in, then you've got an indication that people will pay for it, which gives you confidence to move forward. And also you can begin the process of iterating and making that thing better and gain the confidence to also invest more money into it because you think that more money and time because you, you realize that this thing and in a way you have is pretty good. In a way, you're better testing yourself as well on, on the product that you're looking to deliver, whether you're actually going to enjoy doing it, right? Because that's important. Well, that too. too. Maybe that's good. That's a great point. That's a fantastic point. Maybe it makes you miserable. Maybe you thought that this thing that you were going to do that's like the most brilliant business idea ever makes you unhappy to do it. And it's a damn good thing you figured that out pretty early on, isn't it? With those five or whatever clients, yeah, absolutely. Because even if it's a really good idea, it's like what one of my mentors, I, uh, we had this, I still think it's a pretty good idea of, of basically a two-sided marketplace. We were going to build, we were actually like spent a lot of money in like six months into planning of a marketplace where trainers could sell intellectual property to other trainers. And basically we'd be the in-between. And, um, and, and I still think it's a pretty good idea. But I, uh, one of my mentors, I basically was talking to him about it. And after, after lunch, he's very good at asking questions and listening and just being curious as any coach should be. You know, he, he's not going to give you opinion. He's going to be curious. He's going to ask you questions. He's going to ask, oh, what excites you about that aspect of it? That type of thing. And at the end of it, I remember we were at our cars and we were about to go. And it was like two hours we were talking about this. He just looks at me and goes, you know, this is a really good idea for somebody else. <laughs> like, he was right and i Mentor. hope somebody else does it <laughs> i mean it just shows he's a good listener you got a good her he or she it's a good mentor they, they, they obviously listen and they know yep. you right so now yep. 
what makes a good mentor? Let's talk about that. Other than being a good listener. Uh, I mean, a good listener, a good mentor is somebody who really cares about you altruistically. A mentor is not somebody who fires you a Facebook ad to fill out an application form and then you pay $10,000 to, uh, I'm seeing I, so many of those these days. It's not, that's not a mentor, Facebook. right? That's a business coach. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, but it's not a mentor, a mentor. I've never paid a mentor. A mentor is somebody who I've owned the right to spend time with me. It's somebody who I've. I've built the relationship with usually as a fan gain their attention over time by just doing really good work and then getting opportunities to support them in meaningful ways. And then five years later, it might turn into a mentor mentee relationship where they believe in you. They truly believe in you. They believe in you altruistically. They want you to do well. It fills them up to see you do well. It makes their day to see you do well. And it's not a financial transaction in any way. It's, it's, it's much deeper than that. Um, I haven't had many real mentors. I don't mentor people. I have a few folks that I have mentored in the past. Um, it is a incredibly in-depth relationship, deep relationship. And if you are fortunate enough to have a mentor, a real mentor, really value that relationship. And a mentor doesn't have to be somebody in the same industry as you. You know, my, my very first mentor was one of my clients. And I don't know why, but way back when he saw something in me, he was the... Um, uh, he was the chief of, of the psychiatry department at one of the biggest hospitals here in Toronto. Super smart guy, super successful guy. And I don't know why. I mean, he saw something in me. We trained together for a couple of years. We built a great relationship. And he just, you know, it could be the smallest thing. He just walked in one day and he just looked at me and I, and I told him to get changed because he was five minutes late because he was always five minutes late. And he just walked up to me right on the floor and I was like, idiot, get changed. You're late. And he just took a book out of his bag and handed it to me and said, you're not going to be my personal trainer for much longer. And the book was Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. But the idea is I wasn't a personal trainer for much longer. He knew that I was entrepreneurial. He knew that I was going to move on to something. He knew that I was, he believed that I was destined to, there's nothing wrong with working in a local gym, but he knew that I was destined to move beyond you know, being the senior trainer at, at a local gym, even though it was a fantastic gym uh, in, in Toronto. And, uh, and he wanted to be a part of that. And now, 10 plus years later, we still meet up for coffee sometimes. That's a mentor. It's a great relationship. Mm -hmm. Powerful. Yeah, man, it's powerful. John, um, what do you wish you had known when you started all this? Um, I think that I wish that I knew, to be honest, I, I, I believe very strongly in courage. I think that courage is an attribute that everybody needs to build more and more and more. And courage isn't something you get in a book. Courage is something you get from battle-tested experience. Because when you try a lot of things and they don't work the way that you intended, but they still work out somehow because they almost always do, 
in a way that you could have never imagined when you started, you start to gain more confidence that you can figure it out over time, that perhaps you were worrying about things that are, are needless to worry about. And, and that over time builds courage that you'll figure it out. And so do I wish I knew something to start? No, I don't wish that there was anything that I knew. There was one thing that I wish I did earlier was, was I wish that I documented everything that I did in my business earlier. I wish that, you know, if I, if I wrote an email, if I answered a client question, if I did, uh, if I created an image in Photoshop, if I did something with my website, I wish that I, I created some sort of documentation around that thing so that somebody else could do it way before I had anybody else who I could afford to pay to do it. So that when it got to the point, a lot of people are like, oh, I've tried to hire a bunch of VAs and they're horrible. It's like, that's probably not the case. It's probably because you have no idea what to tell them to do and instruct them. When it gets to the time when you can hire an assistant or a virtual assistant or somebody to help you with your business, you should be able to say, this is how I do things. Here's my voice. Here's where it all is. Can you please take this off my hands? And, uh, and, and so I wish that I started that process earlier. Mm, absolutely. I can relate to that. I've had a, I've had a VA for a period of about uh, three months back in uh, 2018. And mm-hmm. I had a lot of great things to do, but I did, yeah, like you said, I didn't systemize. So I hired her own straight up. So now I put the money, you know, I pay the money for pay a bit of money um, for about, you know, I started with 20, 20 hours a week and for, for her. And, and now I was actually finding myself having even less time because I was like scrambling to sure. create stuff for her. So absolutely. And then you're having to, to redo it because it's not quite how you want it to be done. Yeah. Right. Because you never communicated how it should be done. Yeah. It needs to be really simple. It needs to yeah. be really like precise and so that they can really get it without yeah. having to. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, one last question. Yep. You said to me, you had a story about a bit of a, a change in your career path with, with your past relationship. How did that go? What happened? What did I say to you? Uh, I was asking you for a life changing story. Oh, oh, oh. Um, we kind of hit on it. That was, that's that's a that's a super long story, unfortunately, and have to go. <laughs> um, so so maybe we'll leave that to the second uh, episode of the podcast. Uh, yeah, sure. If, if you want to have me back at some point in the in the future, um, we could we could talk about that. That was that was more about me realizing that how easy it is to get into things in the fitness industry that maybe you're not so proud of. Uh, mm. I had gotten into promoting like six pack workout type things. And I realized that I was doing more harm than good. And, uh, I, I, I was managed to escape it by effectively running away from the world for three months and, uh, doing a lot of deep soul searching. And, and I'm really happy that I did that. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. There's more to that story, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. And no, I will leave that for next time. And, uh, if you can, I'm keen and you've got to do some paddleboarding. I'm sure you're looking forward to that. <laughs> That's- Right. Right. Thank you so much, man. This was fun. It's been awesome to have you on the show. Now, uh, where can obviously where can people find you? Obviously, I've got listeners that may not be from the fitness industry, that so they may not know Jonathan Goodman. Um, 
So, I mean, they can look up your name, but... Yeah, they can look me up. Uh, if, you, if you're interested in fitness, if you're interested in online fitness, we've got the Online Trainer Show podcast. Uh, that's, that's super fun, onlinetrainer.com slash podcast. If you are interested in the certification to become an online trainer or get better or build a better business as an online trainer, that's called the Online Trainer Academy, which is onlinetrainer.com slash academy. And I'll be sure to put it all in the show notes for you guys Beautiful. listening. John, once again, great to have you on the show. Um, I look forward to yeah, catching up next time. I'll uh, flick you an email. Sounds you enjoy good. your part of the boarding, mate. And um, yeah, have a great rest of your day. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Success Inspired Podcast, your source of inspiration to help you achieve more in life and realize your true potential. If you've enjoyed my interview with Jonathan and would like to help spread the word and support the show, uh, what you can do is leave a five-star review on iTunes and I'll let your mates, your colleagues, your business partners and anybody else that you think would benefit out of listening to this show, let them know through your own social media channels. Thank you again for listening. I wish you a lot of success. And until next time, this is Success Inspired Podcast.